This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 24th, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a bizarre iOS network bug that disables Wi-Fi on iPhones, the Brave web browser experiments with a private search engine, the EU launches an antitrust investigation of Google's Flock platform. And we'll be serving up some secure password recipes. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. In the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk about passwords. We found an interesting website to create passwords, and we're going to give you some tips on creating secure passwords. But first, we've got some news, and, and there's one of these iOS bugs that every once in a while there's a thing, if you get a certain text message with a certain character, it blows everything up. And this one, if you join a Wi-Fi network with a specific character in the network name, it kills your iPhone. You have to, restarting doesn't fix you. you have to delete your network settings to be able to reuse your device. Yes. So here's exactly what this scenario is. A security researcher found that if they created a Wi-Fi network with this exact name, so don't do this because somebody else might try to join it and put their phone into a loop where it crashes constantly. Okay. But with this exact name for a Wi-Fi network, percent %p, percent %s, and then that percent %s is repeated four times, percent n if you join a network that has that name then your wi-fi functionality on your iphone will be permanently disabled is how they describe it it's sort of like a denial of service attack so if somebody wanted if they knew that you were using an iphone and that you might be looking for an open wi-fi network then they could create a network with this name in fact you can even do this on your iPhone. You can create a network like this that other people will try to connect to. If they do, then as long as you are in their vicinity and their phone is trying to connect to that network, their Wi-Fi will be broken and their device will continue crashing. Right, but they'll continue to have cellular access, correct? Right. As long as they can get away from you, there's a possibility that even after their device crashes, they might have to like get away from you <laughs> so that they're not in the vicinity of your Wi-Fi network. I don't know. I haven't tested this, but that's a possibility that they may actually have to get away from you in order to turn off Wi-Fi. Then they can go in and reset their network settings and then av avoid you know, crashing in the future. Now, why would somebody want to connect to a network with this exact string of characters? Well, they probably wouldn't unless they were really desperate for free Wi-Fi because you see a name like this and it just looks weird. Well, some people choose weird names for Wi-Fi networks just, you know, for the lulls. Yeah, I guess so. So is this likely to affect you? No, probably not. If you happen to see any Wi-Fi network with percent signs in it <laughs> followed by single digit probably best to avoid connecting to that network until Apple releases a fix for this anyway. Okay, Apple has published a document, let's call it a white paper, building a trusted ecosystem for millions of apps, the important role of app store protections. I wonder why Apple was prompted recently to write something about this, about the dangers of sideloading apps and why app stores are important. You have any ideas? Wasn't there some sort of lawsuit or something in the EU about this? Oh, right. The antitrust thing that they want to prevent Apple from 
preloading their own apps and they want to force Apple to have multiple app stores and side loading. Well, so side loading. Side loading means that you add an app using a process that's not the standard process. Now, here's what I find interesting. Well, I'm going to link to this document. It's got all these little scenarios like at the park, the copycat filter app John had sideloaded threatens to delete all of his photos unless he pays up. So we're using Macs right now, and Apple's saying that sideloading is dangerous, and yet we don't have to use the Mac App Store on the Mac. So does that mean that Macs are at risk? Well, I yeah, I mean, it does. <laughs> I mean, Apple's not saying that, obviously, but they're sort of implying that, okay, well... It, it, reading into what you're saying here, Apple, you're saying that Macs are at greater risk because you can obtain apps from anywhere and oh, they might be bad apps. They might do bad things to your computer. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, it's the same way with Windows, the same way with Android. It's every other platform except for iOS and now iPad OS and tvOS. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay, yeah, just saying, just saying. There's no okay. third-party app store on on a lot of these uh, set-top box platforms either, but... Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, well, it's true that if you have a smart TV, you can't sideload apps, can you? Or, no, you actually might be able to jailbreak smart TVs, but that's a different process, jailbreaking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm going to link to this in the show notes. I think it's an interesting document to read because it's clearly a document that... Apple is written for the general public and perhaps for the judges deciding these cases. Exactly. To explain things simply. You've talked about the Brave browser in the past, and Brave has a search in beta currently, which is a privacy-protecting search engine alternative to Google. And so it's private, and so they don't collect any data. And so that's actually kind of interesting, but you're always talking about private browsing, and wouldn't that do exactly the same thing and let you use Google? Um, yeah, well, you can use Google in a private browsing window, certainly. And as long as you're like closing that private browsing window and all private browsing windows in that browser on a regular basis, then Google's not necessarily able to get a whole lot from you. Now, they still can get your IP address, and there's still a lot of websites that use Google Analytics that might be able to see your IP address. So if you're, if you're using a VPN, then at least you're protected from Google knowing your IP address and linking your searches to what other websites websites you're visiting. But I would say if you really want a private search engine, there are already alternatives out there. Um, there's StartPage, there's DuckDuckGo. Those are two of the most popular ones. I, I'm certainly happy to see another contender in the space. So props to Brave for doing that. Um, one of the things that Brave is saying that they're planning to do apparently is that they're going to have an ad free experience that presumably will be a paid experience as an option. So um, right now, while it's in beta, I believe that it's an ad free experience. Um, so go ahead, try it out while it's in beta. Um, it, see if it gives you as good of search results as Google or start page or DuckDuckGo. If it does, yeah, maybe it might be worth using. Okay, the EU is launching an antitrust probe into Google about Flock. Remember Flock? We've talked about that a while. The fact that Google is banning third-party cookies in Chrome apparently is an anti-competitive thing. And, you know, this just gets more and more confusing about these cookies and tracking and privacy and all that. I, I think the biggest problem is that Google dominates the ad market and regulators are looking for ways to reduce Google's power. And I think advertising 
advertisers would love to have alternate uh, advertising companies on the internet. Yes. And remember, Flock is Federated Learning of Cohorts, that really, really weird uh, acronym that they came up Sounds with. Sounds like a 1980s New Wave album. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't, there, wasn't there a band like Federated Learning of Cohorts? <laughs> Flock of Seagulls. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. Okay. And so, you know, I, I think there's a thing in Google where they, for beta services or something like that, or some of the things that they're working on, they tend to name things with aviary you know bird related themes and so i think that's why they were trying to force this into a bird related thing anyway so flock yeah i i guess i guess the thing with the eu antitrust regulators looking at this basically it's sort of they're pointing out that Google has a conflict of interest here because this is an advertising company and they're preventing you from being able to really do much with other advertising platforms. So, yeah, obviously there does seem to be a conflict of interest from certain perspectives. And so that's why the EU is investigating this. OK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some recipes for secure passwords. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Josh, what do you think of a cranberry pea raisin milkshake? Um, that's, that sounds strange, I guess. <laughs> Well, it should be. So this comes from a website that I discovered today called Itadakimasu, I think. I'm trying to figure this out. It's a little bit strange. I saw this on Twitter. What it does is it creates a random password with full words. We're going to discuss this in a second, what this means. And it only uses food words. So if I create a new password, BBQ walnut squash cookie, or how about catfish jackfruit wontons, or turmeric maize duck shumai, and... This is really interesting. I like the idea of using words and passwords. We're going to explain why this is useful. They took the influence here from one password that creates what it calls random but memorable passwords. And so what's really interesting to me here is there are passwords that we need to remember. And I'm going to just mention two off the top is your Apple ID password and your password manager password, if you use a password manager. And I had actually been thinking in recent weeks about changing the passwords to passwords made of words because they are easier to remember. You don't have to, you know, remember some odd password. I don't use random passwords for those, but they're pretty much impossible to figure out. And 
when I emailed you about this, you emailed me back a long screed about how bad this is and how wrong it is. So <laughs> I wanted to discuss this for, first of all, to discuss his specific site, and then second, to discuss the idea of using passwords made of multiple words. So what's wrong with this website? Okay, well, first of all, let me say Itadakimasu is Japanese for essentially bon appetit, which which makes sense in the context of this particular password generator. So There you go. I don't know why I didn't look it up. So here, here's the thing. So Kirk just sent this to me, no context. He just sent me the link. And so I looked at it and I thought, uh, okay, it's one of those password generator websites. It's from somebody I've never heard of, not to say that there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but you know, um, when it comes to things like passwords, I would rather use something from somebody that I trust and somebody that I, I know and, and know that they're a good coder. I know that they're a good guy. And so that was my initial reaction. Also, the other problem that I had with that, this particular site is that the first password, when you first load the page, it says correct hyphen horse hyphen battery hyphen staple, which is a reference to an XKCD comic and all that. And so if, if someone doesn't know, if they don't know the joke, then they might think that that's the first randomly generated password on the site and try to use that as a password, which is not good. I'll link to that comic in the show notes. We've mentioned it many Many times, essentially, it points out the utility of a real word password like this, because it is a lot easier to remember. And we were talking a lot about this before the show, and I was asking you, if I've got a long password, it doesn't matter if it's random or not, right? So if I choose vinegar mandarin shallot pancakes, which really sounds like a good dinner, that is just as secure as a, what, 30-odd character random password, but at least this one I can remember. Yeah. So here's the thing. And and what we were discussing was what are scenarios where it might make sense to have one of these, I guess you could say pseudo randomly generated passwords. There's obviously a dictionary behind this. It's not the same thing as 32 characters of completely pseudo random uppercase, lowercase symbols, numbers and all that kind of stuff. But of course, as you say, that's those kind of passwords are not memorable. Uh, or very, very difficult to memorize. Whereas if you've got a bunch of words all in a row, they might be just as long, but in, in terms of the overall password length, but they're much easier to memorize. And so isn't there some benefit to that? Well, I just want to point out, you're talking about pseudo-random passwords, and we're looking at the ones that are made on Itadakimasu, but you and I, we could also create passwords with words that we know, like we could create Kirk Josh into go podcast as a password. Not that we would, but we could take any four words we know to make a password. And that's going to be a lot more secure than say some eight digit password that you've pieced together with, I don't know, the first letters of your favorite football teams or something like that. Right. Well, and I, easier to remember is what's important. Yeah. So where you want to be careful, of course, is that you don't want to have Kirk Josh Intego podcast or something as a password for our podcast site, for example, obviously that would be a kind of a bad idea, but if there's no context, if there's nothing to connect it, right. yeah, okay. That, that could make sense in the right scenario. I guess the thing, the thing is this. So if you, if you want 
a memorable password. If you don't want to entirely rely on having a password manager memorize all of your passwords for you and then you don't memorize anything, obviously, even if you're using a password manager, you still have to remember at least one password because you need to know the one to get into your password manager. So um, you do have to at least memorize one. And so I guess that's one thing that you could use this type of password for. As I said before, the password manager and the Apple ID password, these are the ones that we do have to remember. When you restart your phone or update your phone, you need to sign into iCloud. When you update your Mac, the same thing. When you buy apps or, or anything, you'll need to use your password. So that's one that you need to use often. The other one being your password manager. I personally can't think of any other passwords that I need to remember as long as I have a working password manager. Yes. However, I would argue <laughs> that maybe what you might want to do if you want to have a memorable password for your password manager, it's not going to hurt to generate that password within your password manager and then change your password manager's password. But why would that be any more or less secure than something that I create myself? Okay. Well, I was comparing it to using some random website that some random person created that you don't know if you can really trust. And so here, here's one scenario, by the way, I, I need to kind of answer why do yes, I... Yes, you need to explain why we wouldn't be able to trust this random person. Yes. Here's one scenario. Maybe this person is secretly logging all of these passwords that they seem to be randomly generating, and maybe they're putting them into a dictionary, a password cracking dictionary, something that they can use to try to break into your accounts. Now, on this particular website, you're not putting in your personal contact information. There's no place to put in your email address or usernames. So the most that they might be able to get from you is maybe your IP address. You know, so there's probably not a lot that they could do if they were targeting you necessarily. However, if this person was somebody who liked to just crack into as many accounts as they could, then maybe they're using this to add to a, a brute force password dictionary that they can then use in the future to try to bulk, you know, attempt to break into people's accounts. I'm not saying that they are, but I'm saying that's a scenario that's possible. Okay, so I don't know how many words are involved in the dictionary for this website. We're going to link to the website in the show notes. And there is a link to GitHub. Now, I assume that GitHub is going to have all of the source. I'm just glancing at it now. I don't really see. But I assume you're going to be able to find the list of words there. So what you're saying is... If this person, let's say he's got 500 words about food, and he knows that anyone who could use this, you think you can get passwords from about three to 10 words, you could take any combination of those words, and that's going to be tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, but that database of all those words linked together could serve as a database for a password cracking attempt. Right, right, exactly. So it's not necessarily that there's anything wrong with this site. Now, another thing to consider is that because this particular site's whole shtick is that they are using food-related words, that automatically limits the, the database, the number of potential words that could show up in this list as well. So I guess if somebody knows that you're using this particular website to generate all your passwords, then they can use that against you. Now, how might somebody know that? Let's say 
that a password of yours shows up in a in a password dump. So there is some website that you happen to have an account at where they're not properly securing passwords. You didn't know that. You didn't have any way to know that. And now one of your passwords has leaked. Well, if it's um, a series of four words that are all separated by hyphens and they are all food related words, then somebody who happens to know about this website could know that you maybe use this to generate your other passwords. And that's where somebody could use that as a way to potentially try to break into your other accounts. Okay, that's a lot of ifs and maybes. Yes, absolutely. I agree. Okay, so two more things I want to talk about. First, and we've mentioned this before. So here's one vodka halibut pecan gazpacho, and that sounds good too. (laughs) When someone's cracking passwords, it's not like on TV where they go one character at a time, or like when a crossword puzzle, you've got three of the letters and then you're trying to figure out the others. It's not like that. It's the entire string of characters. So it doesn't matter if these are full words or random letters, correct? Well, true. Yeah. So one one thing that's really important to know about passwords, most experts will tell you that one of the most important things, if not the most important thing when it comes to making a secure password is length. There are some potential problems with this because a lot of websites, unfortunately, limit you to a certain number of characters. It might be 32. It might be 64. uh, It might only be eight. (laughs) If it's eight, that's really bad. And that probably means... I haven't seen one of those in a long time, but I have seen 12 because I generally use 14 character random passwords Uh and I've seen 12. Yeah. And if they're limiting it to something that's a relatively small number, I would say 12 or less. There's probably there's a good chance anyway that there's something not quite right on the back end. There's there's no legitimate reason to limit passwords to 12 characters, because here's the thing. First of all, they should not actually be storing your password at all. What should be happening is that they're hashing the password and they have a fixed length of that hash that then goes into their database. Well, and also they should be salting it and some other things, too. But but there should be essentially go back to the food metaphors again. (laughs) Yeah, you got to salt your password hashes. Okay, so so that salted hash is going to be a fixed length. So they're always going to have in their database a fixed length, regardless of how long your real password is. All they need to do is have the algorithm correctly, you know, take whatever it is that you're putting in, regardless of the length. And they'll always get once they go through their hashing and salting process, they'll always have that same thing that it, it ends up with. That's what they should be checking against when you log into their website. They shouldn't have ever be storing a password. But if if you've got scenarios where they're only allowing you eight or 12 characters, there's a better chance that they're probably doing something wrong on the back end. And they're and they're actually storing your password, possibly, because unfortunately, there are still sites that do that. Okay, another point I want to make is the security we're talking about length is important and the security of pretty much any four words, as long as someone can't guess them, whether they're random words or, as I suggested before the show when we were talking, four words from a book. Like, you could make a password largely concerned with hobbits. This is from the first sentence of Fellowship of the Rings. And you can remember this because you've got a, a memory of the book and the context. You ever need to look it up, you get the book. But no one's going to be able to figure this out unless you are like a total Lord of the Rings fan and, you know, carry a sword around and stuff like that. But if if you take any four words, 
it's or three or five or whatever, as long as it's enough characters, it's a lot more secure than having to create some weird string of characters to remember so you can remember when you type your Apple ID. Sure. Okay. So here, here's another thing that a lot of people will will tell you. I mean, there's all kinds of advice that you can find on the internet about how to create a memorable password or how to create a secure password. And sure, it, you could take four consecutive words or the first letters from the beginning of consecutive words and uh, on the first page of your favorite book. But there are a lot of people who have suggested doing that. And so it's possible that like, for example, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times that that particular string of words or first letters of words might show up in a password brute force cracking database. So I can't necessarily recommend that people do that. I, I think it would be better to come up with words that are memorable to you, but are not necessarily related. I think that's a little bit better. Another thing that I would do, if you were going to use this particular website that we've been talking about, you could improve upon these passwords by doing something like adding a number randomly or replacing one of those letters from that password with a number and capitalizing a random letter somewhere in there. So for example, coffee, sugar, Merlot, curry. Okay. Let's say that curry, let's say that you wanted to swap out um, the letter U for a capital because it's not the first letter of the word. The first letter of the word is kind of obvious to capitalize, right? And some password managers will will actually do this. Some some will capitalize the first letter of one of the words or they'll capitalize, uh, you know, the, the entire word for one of the words. But it's less likely that one of the other letters is going to be capitalized if you're generating this with a lot of password managers. So you could in Curry, for example, you could make the U capitalized. And let's say the second R will just make that a nine. That would be a better password, in my opinion, than just the one that's generated, because now, even if these are bad guys behind this website, even and even if somebody is doing something where, you know, they're able to identify that you're using this particular website to generate your passwords, by adding those additional bits of entropy, I guess, like making it more random, I think that improves the security of that password a lot. Of course, you can always add numbers elsewhere, additional capitals, additional numbers, uh, or special characters as well. Anything that you can do to change it from whatever they're just generating, I think would be nice. The problem with special characters is some websites don't accept them. Sometimes when I sign up on a website in Safari and I use the password, the secure password that Safari recommends or that the iCloud keychain recommends, sometimes it's refused because it doesn't have a particular character. You have to have a special character or sometimes it has one you can't use. So that's a little bit difficult. That's why these things often use just hyphens between the words because they're always going to be accepted. You probably can't use colons and slashes. Those are generally refused. Yeah, this is one of those things that's definitely uh, on my list of things that I really wish didn't exist in the world. This whole notion of <laughs> you're not allowed to use certain characters. Why the heck not? You're going to be hashing it like I'm assuming you're hashing it and doing the things that you're supposed to be doing with yeah, the password. But it's, probably, it's probably a carryover from when websites were storing passwords in the database and certain characters would throw off database searches. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe the software that they're using to properly hash and salt a password doesn't like 
a particular character that I could see. But if any time that I see this big old list of special characters you're not allowed to use, that makes me a little nervous that maybe they're not doing something right. I want to close with a little anecdote. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it on the show. Back in 1995, so this was my second internet service provider. And I had the first one and I changed to another one and I had to create an email address because on the first, since I moved to the first one where I had an email address, I had to create one on the second one. And I went to create an address and a password and I was told, oh, you can't use that. That password is already in use. Yeah. Now, this was 1995, but someone else on the server was using the exact same password that I was, which admittedly was not secure. But what that tells you is that, well, if you know everyone who's on this server and you know what their email addresses are, you know one person's going to be using that password. That's exactly right. And this is why, (laughs) hopefully, there are very few sites today that are still using those practices because they don't work anymore because everything that's Internet connected and with all the databases that get breached and passwords that get dumped and all this sort of thing that happens in the world today, you cannot do something like this anymore. You really, really need to be hashing. You need to maybe if the hash ends up colliding with somebody else's hash, which it really shouldn't because of salting anyway, that's, that's a whole other topic, (laughs) but um, you know, even in that scenario, it's really not great. If a website tells you there's a conflict, someone else is using that password (laughs) that, that, that means again, that they're not storing that password properly. And there's a problem there. Um, So if you see that um, you definitely want to make sure you're using as long of a pseudo random password as possible with that site or service, as long as you, you know, determine that it's really worth using that service. Okay, Josh, until next week, salted pine nuts, beer, jelly donuts. (laughs) All right. Stay secure, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.